Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for bringing us to your house today. And now, Lord, as we prepare to open your word and we prepare to learn more about who you are, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. I pray and I ask this in your name. Amen. A young man had worked hard for his company. He figured that since he had to wake up early every day and drive to work and then sit at a desk all day and then do the tasks that were put before him that somehow, you know, somehow that meant that he should somehow receive a pay raise. He sat there and he said to himself, I'm definitely superior to my colleagues and so therefore I deserve a raise. So he marched down the long hallway to his boss's office And when he finally got there, his boss sat in front of a big, big desk. And he said to his boss, he said, Sir, I feel that I deserve a pay raise because of what I do. His boss stroked his chin and said, Okay, you know what, I'll give it some consideration and I'll get back to you soon. A few weeks went by and the guy still hadn't heard anything until finally he received this note back. It said, because of the fluctuation, predisposition, of your position's productive capacity as juxtaposed to standard norms, it would be momentarily injudicious to advocate your requested increment. You got that, right? The man read over it several more times before finally making his way back to his boss's office with the note in hand, and he said, Sir, I don't get it. To which his boss replied, that's right, you don't get it. Clarity is important. I don't know how many of you guys have ever read the legal agreements on an iPhone or an Android device. You know those legal agreements you're supposed to do? Derek, you may be the only one that understands what any of that means. But for the rest of us, we just click accept and hope to goodness we have not signed something away And we just, in faith, hope that all is going to be well. Because we don't understand it. And when we don't understand something, we just leave it. We ignore it. We walk away from it. Clarity is important. That's the way that things were for this man that we were going to look at today. This main character in our story. See, he lived in a society that had basically become one where taxes ruled everyone's lives. So much so that there was a man on the top and underneath him there were several other guys and this guy here, he was, he was filthy rich. And these guys here, they were really rich as well. And then under them they had these guys known as tax collectors and chief tax, tax collectors that worked under them and these guys got to set the, the rate that they would charge each and every person. So it really was up to them as to how fair they wanted to be and how much they wanted to charge people. And so they could live quite comfortably as well. But then there was everybody else on the bottom. And this man, our main character in our story, happened to be one of those guys, somewhere down there on the bottom. It was so bad that if I had some stuff I needed to sell, I would load it up on my camels, and I would be charged two denarii, which was essentially one to two days' wages, depending on your wage, two days wages just to take the goods that I'm trying to sell to make a living 
from one city or jurisdiction to another. And I would be charged two denarii for every camel, so I'd better be good at packing. And then from there it would go on. So let's say I was a fisherman. If I was a fisherman, I would have to bid on essentially a contract in order to fish. It wasn't just like you went down to the local lake, you threw your net and you caught some fish. No, I had to actually have a contract that dictated where I could fish and how much I could catch. And so this is the life that these people are living in. And then on top of that, there are fishing police that literally trolled the lakes to make sure that you were not fishing in either the wrong area or catching the wrong thing or selling to the wrong people because you couldn't bypass this system. Stories circulated. Early historians recorded stories about one family in particular who owed 10 denarii worth of taxes. And when they, they could only come up with 9 denarii, the people came to collect and they made sure to rough them up real good to set them aside as an example. You did not forget to pay your taxes. And these stories circulated so that you knew not to try to get out of anything. And so amidst all this chaos, it's little wonder as to why our main character is frustrated. It's little wonder as to why he and others like him are looking and hoping for somebody else that's going to come along and that's going to change some things up. Because they're a little sick of the condition that they're living in. And so we find him standing in the water, tired, extremely tired, extremely frustrated with where he is in his life, and cleaning a net of the seaweed. He's been out all night and he's caught nothing. Life is just not going his way right now. And he looks over. <laughs> he looks over and he sees a man, who I'm sure he recognized, getting into his boat. And there's a crowd of people pressing around this man, Jesus, and that boat. And so Jesus looks at him in Luke 5, verses 3 to 4. And it says this, Then he, being Jesus, sat down and he taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he turns to Simon and he says to him, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now I want to pause here for a minute because we need to understand what's going on. How many of you have ever worked a night shift before? Yes. Are they fun? How do you feel the next day? Beat, exactly. You might feel a little bit like you've got a flu going on or something, because you you're not yourself. Your head feels heavy. During university, in order to pay my way through it, I would work several jobs, one of which was in, as an RA, so I would do room check at either 11, 12, or 1 o'clock in the morning. And then after that, I would go to work at the front desk from about 1 to 5, and then get up for classes at 7.30, for 7.30. It was brutal. And I can tell you that my head literally always felt like it was in some sort of a fog. So I get where Peter's coming from when Jesus says to him, Hey, I'm in your boat. I want you to go back out and we're going to go fishing. Peter's response makes sense because he begins by this, saying this in verse 5. He says, Master, we have worked all night but have caught nothing. In other words, seriously, I'm really tired right now. I kind of just want to go home and go to bed. But then it's like he remembers something, and perhaps it was like, wait, Jesus just did something in my household. He healed my mother-in-law, so maybe, maybe this is worth a shot. And so despite his tiredness, he continues on and he says, yet 
If you say so, I will let down the nets. Yet if you say so, despite my tiredness, I'm going to let down my nets. And of course, they head out into the water. They put their nets in. We know how the story goes. They catch so much fish that the nets actually begin to pull apart and break. And instead of just dragging back your load of fish, there's so many of them that they begin to try to put them into their boats. He calls to his partners that were probably in the same corporation as he was. He calls to them and they start to put the fish in their boats and the boats begin to sink. And although all this is going on, there's something that I want to point out. It's that Peter finally gets his first glimpse of who Jesus is. Peter finally gets his first glimpse of who Jesus is. And he falls down and he says this in verse 8. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. But although Peter got a glimpse of who Jesus was, he still wasn't seeing clearly. Last August, I woke up and I discovered both my eyes were extremely red. Very, very, very red. So I put some clear eyes in them, figured something was wrong, and I um, went through my day and I noticed they kept getting worse. And the next day and the next day and the next day, my eyes just kept looking, they were really, really red, a little swollen. So I'm like, I haven't been out in the sun, so they're not sunburnt. Uh, I'm really not sure what's going on, maybe it's pink eye. So I call my doctor, and my doctor, he looks at my eyes and he says, um, I want you to go here. And he sends me to an optometrist, where the optometrist discovered that I needed glasses very badly. And it wasn't until I was driving home that I began to realize that the leaves on the trees, although I knew this, were actually individual leaves, not just a blur of green. Yeah. And that road signs actually, you know, you could look ahead and you could actually see what a road sign said before your GPS said, turn right here. I was seeing, but I wasn't seeing clearly. So it's possible to see something, but not be seeing it clearly. And for Peter, he's seeing Jesus. He's caught a glimpse of him for the first time, but he's still seeing like I'm seeing you right now. Blurs. So what is he to do? Well, before we get there, it's great news for us. Because see, although Peter wasn't seeing Jesus clearly, although he wasn't seeing Jesus perfectly yet, Jesus was still willing to call him, to use him, and to begin to train him. And that's great news for us, because even though we're not perfect, because last I checked, none of us were, God can still call us, begin to use us just where we're at. Why does clarity matter? Why does it really matter how we see God? For Peter, his story does not get any better. It actually gets worse. In Luke 24, verse 21, this is after Jesus has died. Two of his disciples are walking down the road to Emmaus, and they're talking to this stranger and they say this, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And this sentiment is echoed by many. In other words, we had hoped that Jesus, this guy, was going to be the one to redeem us from our situation, was going to be the one to save us from these taxes, was going to be the one to save us from the Romans. 
But for Peter, the exact opposite had happened. Instead, he found himself sitting in an upper room where just earlier in the week, Jesus had been welcomed in to Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds were cheering. And people may have thought, finally, this is going to happen. Finally, this revolt is going to take place. But now Jesus is kneeling down and he wants to wash Peter's feet. And Peter's reaction again is, no, Lord, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Then they go to the garden. And Peter swipes out his sword. In in an act of defense, he cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus doesn't say, that's right, way to go, let's start this thing. He reprimands Peter and tells him to put his sword away. Do you understand how frustrating this must have been for Peter? Because his image, his idea of who Jesus is to be, it's, it's not coming together for him. The way that Jesus is acting and the way Peter's thinking things should be are not coming together. Until finally, Peter is standing by a charcoal fire. Jesus is now in his trial and Peter is standing by this charcoal fire. And Peter denies Jesus three times. Denies ever knowing him. We can hang out with, we can spend time with, we can go to church for years. We can have a fuzzy picture of who Jesus is in our minds. But when we're really put under the test, how do we react? It's based on that picture of who Jesus is in our mind. See, the very man he had hoped was going to redeem him from the the Romans (laughs) was the very man that was now hanging on a Roman cross, surrounded by Roman guards, and having just been convicted by a Roman. uh, Nothing was going according to plan. Have you ever felt that way? Where maybe at some point in your life you excitedly said and welcome Christ into your life, like Peter by the boat that day. But then something went wrong. And maybe you felt like because of the things that you'd given up in your life, that somehow God owed you some favor. And now you're in a tough spot, and things aren't going the way that you'd like them to go. God's not doing for you what you think he should be doing for you. And things are beginning to crumble around you because that image of who God is in your head is beginning to crumble as well. The relationship we have, the way we view God, the way we see Him, determines how we react when we're in tough times. So if I view God as someone who's out to get me, who's just waiting to squash me like a bug, then when I'm going through hard times, I'm going to want nothing to do with that God because He's not there for me. He doesn't have my back. Or if I view God as someone who is just going to deliver me from my earthly problems, someone who's going to deliver me from the bad choices I've made, someone who's going to deliver me from the debt that I've accrued, then when times are really tough and God doesn't do those things, I'm likely to turn my back on him and say I never knew him. So the picture, the image that we have of God in our head determines what we do when we're going through those hard times. Now, don't get me wrong, God is definitely with us in those hard times. He never leaves us. So what picture of God do we have in our head? Because that also paints the picture that we portray to the world around us as well. 
A professor I recently took a class with, he took three chairs. We've got three chairs up here on the podium. And he put those three chairs in the center of the room. And he went up to the first chair, and he stood by it, and he kept lecturing. And we were all watching him, wondering what on earth he was going to do. What on earth, he, where was he going with this? Were we going to play musical chairs? So finally, he points to the first chair, and he says, this chair represents our works. And he said, for a lot of us, we spend a lot of time in this chair. He said, the second chair represents the relationship to, with God. So we spend a lot of time here, attempting to get here, pointing people here as well, saying, you know, we're here, <clears throat> we need that relationship with God. You need to get there too. And so we do various things. You know, we, we go to people that we don't know, people who don't know Christ, and we, we point them towards that second chair. You need to get here. You need to get to the second chair, this relationship with God. And when, when people finally get there, we say, okay, now we've got to go back to the first chair. There's things that we've got to do, and so there's all these things, evangelistic series, door-to-door, and all these things are good things. But we go back and forth between these two chairs until we finally get tired. And then we get burnt out. <laughs> it seems funny getting burnt out working for God, doesn't it? I found this quote that I have in my office now, and it says this. Christ does not want us to burn ourselves out working for him because he should be working through us. Amen. <laughs> I'll read that one more time. Christ does not want us to burn ourselves out working for him because he should be working through us. When it came to Peter and them in the boat that day, it didn't matter what technique they used. It didn't matter what bait they used. It didn't even matter what side of the boat they threw their net on. What mattered was that Jesus was in their midst. What mattered was Jesus was in their midst. So how does this happen? That's where our third chair comes in. Our third chair represents that picture of God that we have in our head. When we begin to picture God as a good and a beautiful God, the second chair comes naturally. We begin to say, okay, who is this God? Who is this guy that, that, this God that we're supposed to know? And we begin to spend more time with him in search of that question. And that feeds into the third chair and begins to paint this picture of a good and a beautiful God. And, and this continues back and forth between these two chairs. If we start here, until finally these works... They just begin to flow out of it naturally. But it all starts over here, not here or here. Not trying to force a relationship, not trying to tell ourselves we need to do this, 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 and this to be saved. It starts here. Who is this God? What does this picture look like in my mind? And once I begin to ask that question, I begin to want to spend time with him. Once I learn that he's a good and a beautiful God, I go back here. And I begin to say, wow, this picture of God is becoming even clearer in my head. And from these chairs comes that chair. Naturally. Not forced. And people begin to see that difference in our lives. As they begin to see that we are someone who worships a God that's actually worth being around. Instead of walking around looking really tired trying to do these two. So what does that picture of God look like in our lives today? <laughs> See, for Peter, as his first picture of God began to crumble, 
he decided to do what he'd always done. John 21, he decided to go fishing. Because why not? So he hops back in the boat, and in John 21, verse 3, it says that he's in the boat, and he's out there again all night long, and they've caught nothing. They've caught nothing. So now not only is his picture of who Jesus is supposed to be, it's crumbling in front of him. (laughs) Now he can't even do his old job right. Can't even fish. Can't even catch those things. But then John 21, verse 4 begins. And it begins with some of the most beautiful words ever written. It says this. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the shore. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the shore. Picture that. The sun is just beginning to come up. The fishermen are tired. The sun is just beginning to come up. The church is tired. We've worked hard. (laughs) We're tired. But there's Jesus standing there on the shore, watching them. Jesus had not left them destitute. Jesus had not left them alone. He had come to find them. Throughout the Bible, from Genesis, after Adam and Eve eat the fruit, God comes to find them. The Tower of Babel, they're building a tower to heaven. God comes down to see this thing that they have built. Throughout the the prophets, the judges, the prophets, until finally we have Jesus, who comes down again to show us who God is. God comes after us time and time again. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Sometimes we don't see God working in our own lives. Sometimes we fail to see him standing there. And so sometimes he has to jog our memory. And so he says to them, he says in verse 6, he says, Hey guys, cast the net to the right side of the boat. And you'll find some fish. And it's like instant deja vu all over again. But before they can even begin to realize that, they throw their net to the right side of the boat. Maybe they're beginning to think, wow, wait, this is familiar. Because three and a half years earlier, the same thing had happened. And so they throw the, 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 the net over to the other side of the boat. And suddenly it begins to swell with fish again. And it becomes so full of fish. And now they, they know this deja vu is not deja vu. This is for real. This is Jesus standing there on the shore. He's, he's found us. He's found us destitute and in a dark place with this shattered picture of who he's supposed to be. And there he is standing there calling out to us, hey guys, just throw that, throw that net over there. Things are going to change because I'm here now. And they do that. And the Bible says that they catch 153 large fish. Now, the number is significant enough for John to write down that they have caught 153 large fish. Because see, what fishermen would do when they came back to shore is they would sort their fish. Little ones get tossed back. The wrong ones get tossed back. But this is 153 large, perfect fish. And Peter looks out, and he realizes that it's Jesus. And for whatever reason, the Bible mentions he's sitting there, and he's naked in the boat. And so he puts his clothes on. I really want to meet Peter one day, because this guy just sounds interesting. And he he jumps in the boat because he realizes this is Jesus and he swims to shore. And when he gets there, the deja vu becomes even stronger for him. See, in John 18, verse 18, Peter had stood beside a charcoal fire. 
and had denied ever knowing Jesus. But in John 21, Jesus has made a charcoal fire, and there it is burning away on the beach. Only this time Peter's not denying Jesus. This time, his picture of who Jesus is is becoming real. And in John 21, verse 11, John writes, the net was not torn. As if to indicate that finally, that broken picture that Peter had, the disciples had of who Jesus was, that broken picture was now whole. They had now experienced his life, his death, and his resurrection. But more than that, they had also experienced his forgiveness. And they had experienced that relationship and that call with him. This was becoming real. And that picture of who God is, a good and a beautiful God, was now whole and complete. And this led to everything else that came after that. Who is God to you? Who is he to me? Is he complicated to understand? Is he like some legal jargon that we just don't get? Or worse yet, has our image of who God is been shaped by the way other people, other Christians have treated us. That's why it's so important to sit in that chair and ask ourselves that question. Who is Jesus to me? Who is God to me? And begin to paint that picture for yourself of a good and a beautiful God through that relationship with him and let the rest take care of itself. I hope today that you take Peter's account and the beautiful encounter that he had with God on the beach that day, both times, and make it your own and begin to paint that picture of a good and a beautiful God in your own mind. Because who God is to you determines the way that we move forward when we're going through hard times. And we all go through them. But who God is to you determines how we proceed from here, how we reach out to the world around us, how we react to our friends and our neighbors, how we not only see God, but how we portray him to the world around us. It is an essential question. Who is God to you? Amen.